the best rugby insight and analysis. OTB Sports Rugby. How, how would you argue if Johnny Sexton was to go and win a World Cup with Ireland and lead them to it that he wouldn't be the greatest? Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. To the football, Martin Lipton is with us this morning. Martin, good morning to you. How are you getting on? I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, very good. You uh, had a, a weekend off or, or at least not a match-going weekend as a result of um, there being no not matches. Even the kids' football was off, which is a bit of a blow. It's supposed to be the start of the season, but I understand why. Um, sometimes you're going to be damned if you do and damned if you don't, so maybe you better be damned for doing. Um What's going to happen next? That's the the main thing here is that this season has already been, and we've been talking about this basically since the start of the uh, the transfer windows. Like you're going to need a big squad to manage playing midweek weekend, midweek weekend, all the way up to the World Cup, and then immediately after the World Cup, when your players are all fairly tired after uh, whatever happens, they're going to be playing midweek weekend, midweek weekend, all the way until the end of May. Is there just going to be an extra week to the season? Is that the only way to get around this? They're not allowed to under the contract. It will cost them too much money. It's a fixed date that it has to end. Uh, I suspect that they'll squeeze them in. The obvious time to do that would be the middle of January, second and third, or third and fourth weeks of January, when uh, the only things that are scheduled at the moment are the Carabao Cup semi-finals. So you could easily, I think, get most of the games at least, if not all, if not all of them, or probably not all of them, because there'll be teams in the Carabao Cup games. But most of those games can be played in that window. But you're still likely, I suspect, to have uh, some of the teams in Europe not getting the games played, um, particularly as you know one of the games that was cancelled um, at the weekend was uh, City versus Spurs. Now, given City have been virtually every final, it seems to the League Cup forever, except last season, the chances of neither Spurs nor City being in this year's semi-final are pretty low, you would think. I mean, one of them will be there. So that means that match has to be squeezed. But... The Premier League would really, really want Spurs and City to be, if they both qualify in Europe, to be drawn in the same midweek, as it were, in the last 16 round, because that would at least create a space in the other last 16 week to play the match, even if it would mean going up against the UEFA rules and they could be fined for doing it, but they have to get the matches played. It's it's going to be tight. It's going to be even tighter if there's matches called off uh, next weekend, and I think it's, it's likely that Chelsea Liverpool might be called off just because of it being due to be played in London on Sunday when there's going to be a huge policing operation in the middle of London. So it has some of the knock on impact seems to have been around the uh, the policing for sure, and, and that does seem like it might roll onto it. Were there any other reasons given or certainly spoken about around the decision to make the postponements? I think a bit of it was football is the national game uh, and it has to show a bit of leadership here. Uh, also, remember, look, you know, the Queen's the patron of the FA. Her grandson is the president of the FA. Sometimes you've got to be seen to do and you've got to do the right thing. I mean, look, I'm, I, I think there was a slight overreaction, in fact, significant overreaction in terms of the youth football. But not on the professional football. I perfectly understand the decision. I mean, I'm not saying I think it was a brilliant decision, but I understand the rationale behind it. And I also think that a bit of it was a bit of fear. If football had gone ahead, it would have been, oh, typical football. They've, they've gone so woke, they'll, cancel, they'll have council games and they'll do all these minute silences and, you know, protest for Black Lives Matter, but they won't do anything for the Queen. Like, 
you can't win, can you? So just called it off. Uh, I think it would be a mistake to repeat next weekend the grassroots ban. Um, and I don't think that will happen, but we'll find out. But I, 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 and I think the majority of matches will be played. Uh, other than that, there was a, there are issues as we saw one at Hearts, one in not in the UK, obviously in to, in Dublin at Shamrock. But there was a fear a fear that maybe one or two fans might you know besmirch a silence. I don't think that would have been a good look for football. I don't think that was a significant factor, but it was a a contributory factor. So it was a, a melange of different things that went into the decision. Um, we are seeing that uh, away fans have been banned from the Rangers-Napoli game in the Champions League, which seems slightly to have an impact on the integrity of the fixture. Um, you know, fans seem to be important. Certainly, that's one of the takeaways I would have taken from the whole COVID period. It was like, well, fans seem to matter. They seem to be able to, you know, teams play better or worse, depending on... Um, the impact of the fans. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's nothing, and maybe that's just the way you have to deal with these situations. But are there any concerns about that? Uh, I think you you would argue that in the round. Yes, if it was at every game, certainly. I, I think it's a, the UEFA decision. Obviously, is one with specifics to Glasgow um, on uh, on Tuesday stroke Wednesday. The game couldn't be played Tuesday for policing reasons. If there's no away fans, there's less need for as many police for obvious reasons. The quid pro quo is that Rangers, who are probably looking forward to going to Naples, got a lot of fans, it's a beautiful part of the world, despite the odd occasional issue, it's fair to say, in the city, uh, they can't go as well. So for the game, which is the fifth match, which is arguably potentially a more decisive match, fifth match in the um, in the competition, they, there'll be no away fans in, in Naples. So it's unfortunate, but it's understandable, I think. Do you expect all the, the European games otherwise to go ahead? So basically next weekend we'll know in advance what's going to happen it looks like from what you're saying that there might be that Chelsea-Liverpool fixture might be in danger but other than that we would expect everything else to go ahead I wouldn't say everything else because if you call off one game in London because of policing can you then play Brentford v Arsenal on Sunday can you play Spurs v Leicester on on Saturday I mean it all depends I think the games outside London will go ahead uh, the Premier League games within London is a different issue it will be discussed I'm sure they'll make an early decision they can't let it um, go on until the end of the week. They've got to decide probably by tomorrow, maybe even as early as today. I'm sure there'll be meetings within the Premier League, with the FA, with the with the Met to make a determination. And I, but I, I anticipate a swift de- decision. The European games this week are going ahead, uh, and rightly so. Uh, you know, National League resumes tonight. Um, there's you know non-league football, which is also off at the weekend. So I think. Um, matches will be played. I think the fact that all the other sports went ahead makes it easier for football to go ahead now, bizarrely. Um, what is interesting, I think, is that I, I did look it up. So in 1952, which was a bit before I was born, but obviously way before you lot were all born, um, football went ahead three days after King George VI died uh, and nothing else did. This time, it's the other way around. It's a strange <laughs> world. They weren't looking at the historical track records. Has there been much feeling on the ground, like how clubs are actually feeling about this? Because like you say, there's a very small window in January where maybe these matches can get replayed. And if you are a City or a Spurs, presumably, and especially if, say, Spurs game at the weekend doesn't go ahead again, presumably they're not all that happy about that factor. Is it just more, there's nothing they really can say at this stage? It was a decision of the clubs on, mm. on Friday. So it's their decision, their call. Cool. Uh, I don't think they're particularly happy about it. They just, they just felt it was the right thing to do. Um, and look, 
last season we had a weekend when only one match was played because of COVID. Arsenal, Leeds Arsenal was the only match played that weekend because there was a, a COVID wave that went round. They squeezed the matches in. Uh, they're used to doing that. You know, in the past it's been bad weather. Uh, now we don't have too much bad weather that affects grounds because of the you know, conditions of the pitches. And the only issue is if actually the, the surrounds of the grounds are unsafe, the pitches itself are all um, you know, properly covered and undersoil heated. So fewer matches get postponed. Um, there's always a bit of wriggle room. They'll always find a way. And if it means playing games, at some point you might have one, two clubs having to play three games in a, seat in a week. Well, Unfortunate, but so be it. I think that'd be the view. But normally, there's there's a way of squeezing games in. There are, I remember, three official catch-up weekends in March, April, and May, which are set aside to play the matches that are postponed. Um, so often, there's that opportunity, and if not, they'll have to find another date. Uh, so uh, the, there's a contingency plan in place, and. and um... I'm sure it'll be, it'll be grand, but they definitely need next weekend's games largely to go ahead so that it's not two weekends they're catching up on. Can I just ask you about um, some of the actual football then? Uh, I'd say Chelsea and the new Chelsea manager is pretty happy about the fact that he didn't have to play a game last weekend and he gets an extra few days of not just recovery with the team, but proper training sessions to try and instill some specific plans on a group of players who are absolutely world-class and who are desperate for success. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're a Graham Potter, it's, you'd much rather have had four days before your first game than one. Uh, no surprise there. I also think there's always a bit of new manager bounce, and I'm sure they'll turn up and, and play uh, because they're all trying to impress the new manager. That happens at, at every club. Um, but he has got to impose his ideas. I don't think it's necessarily going to be as difficult as it might be at another club. It's not as if he's gone into a club that's in crisis which is often the way. He's going to the club's had a couple of poor results. He's also got some incredibly talented players. What we know from Potter from his time at Osterstons and at Swansea and at Brighton is that he wants a particular way of playing. He is very determined to, to, to stick with his principles. You have to buy into it. Them giving him a five-year contract is a statement to say, come on, it's, this is the manager. You get along with him or you don't get along at all because we won't have you here anymore. So it's, that was the, the message that they wanted to put out. Um but it will take time. You can't expect him to to be Harry Potter and wave a magic wand. It doesn't work like that. Uh, he's Graham Potter and he's a manager and he's going to spend time making his players understand what he's looking for. The knee-jerk reaction to the sacking before everything else had happened was, oh, it's uh, new owners, but same old Chelsea. <clears throat> yeah, I think I can understand that. I mean... The, I always feel new manager normally, sorry, new owners normally means new manager quite quickly at any club because they want their own man. Uh, and and Tuchel wasn't their own man. I think it's fair to say he can be um, difficult. Uh, and his track record at other clubs shows that. You know, he fell out at Dortmund and he fell out with all the players at PSG. And it looks as though he's fallen out with some of the players at, uh, at Chelsea. It's in his nature. He's a, a somewhat cantankerous uh, chap at times, it would appear. But obviously a, a top manager. There's no doubt about that. Um, and they, it looked as though they were trying to get on and they found him impossible to work with um, because he's he's a quite idiosyncratic fellow, it would appear. Um, and that doesn't all go well when you start losing at Southampton and Leeds and squeeze past West Ham. The, the, the statement they would have gone if they'd whatever happens in, uh, in Zagreb is, 
is what they always say. I think if they won 5-0, it would be difficult to sack him. Yeah. Uh, you know, but it means they were waiting for the next defeat to sack him. So it was, it, 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 the ice was thinner and thinner and thinner to the point where it was Gossamer thin and it was going to crack. And, you know, and Zagreb gave them the opportunity to actually say, well, let's, let's pull the plug now. Um, notwithstanding that, right? And that definitely seems to be the case. And they obviously were able to do the deal with Potter and with Brighton really quickly. So they, they knew about the buyout clause. They knew what they needed to do. They knew the case that they would need to make to him. Uh, why did they sign Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang if they knew that they were getting rid of the manager who he wanted to play for? This is the, the greatest question of all, actually, because they gave him Aubameyang and they also gave him Zakaria. Uh, and you would have imagined that the reason that Aubameyang went to Chelsea was to play for Tuchel. And the reason that, and they gave him what they wanted, you know, what he wanted. He demanded more players in the wake of the Southampton defeat. He was very angry at the quality of players that, that he felt he'd been left with because he didn't think the right issues had been addressed. Well, he's the one who got rid of Werner and um, Lukaku. So uh, be, on your own head, be it. I think they probably just had enough of him. Um, and they thought, well, we have to have a striker because we haven't got a striker in the club, a proper, you know, nine, or somebody yeah. who can play centre-forward, he's available, but we'll get him anyhow. And also, maybe a bit of it was, well, if we've still got two cores manager when we do the deal, it's more likely that he'll agree to come, which means we've got him, so there's nothing he can do about it if we get rid of the manager. I don't know, but you might think that might be a slightly Machiavellian approach to it. But yeah, it's football, isn't it? So anything goes. OK. Uh, I, I, what is your level of expectation for what's going to happen at Chelsea now? Because it, it does, again, on the face of it, it felt like same old Chelsea. And now it doesn't feel like that at all. As you say, they've given him a five-year deal and they seem to be putting a structure in place. Potter, the, the rumour was, will be involved in the selection of whoever the technical director is going to be, which is a very American thing where, you know, you put your head coach and your technical director, general manager together and you, you view them as a duo and they share responsibility and, and credit and therefore um, take blame collectively. So if that is what's going to happen, you wouldn't be terribly surprised. It kind of apes what's going on with their baseball team. Um, so he could well be here for the long haul. Well, uh, uh, the one thing that might alter that actually is a vacancy at Wembley because I think that Potter was... And, and, you know, very much the lead candidate to replace uh, Gareth Southgate as, as England manager whenever Southgate leaves. And now he's got, will have had the experience of, of running a big club and for him, I hope, successfully, even more the case that they'd want him. But then again, the FA can't pay the sort of money that Chelsea pays. So it's quite an interesting scenario. And if, if England were to come calling, what would he do? Um I think it depends when England come calling. If, if Southgate walks out after the World Cup, then Potter won't go. If Southgate walks out after the Euros in 2024, or even after the World Cup in 2026, then maybe more likely. Who knows? We'll see that in the, in the fullness of, of time. I suspect, I genuinely think that Potter is an outstandingly impressive manager. I think he's proven that already on pretty limited resources. And as long as the players are willing to buy into his ideas, are going to go with him, they will improve as a team. I think he's excellent. The one thing he lacked, wherever, particularly at Brighton, was a 20-goal-a-season striker. If he'd had that, they'd have been knocking on the door of the top four. Uh, they're a very good team. Look, look, they, they beat Arsenal last year. They beat Spurs. They get, got results. They've already beaten um, United this season. I think they beat City in the recent past. They're a very, they've got a, a draw at Liverpool last season when Liverpool were playing well. 
uh, they're a very good team. And that comes down to the manager and his principles and his way of playing. There's no reason to, to suspect that he shouldn't be able to transplant that, given a bedding in period, uh, at Chelsea and make Chelsea a, a really, really good team. I think they will be. Whether they might take a, uh, might take a too long this season to impact, I don't know. We'll see that. Um, but he has got quality players and that gives you, you know, he's got, if you just look at the squad, he's got a better quality of squad to start work with than anywhere he's been before. So if you've got a good coach with good players, you'd probably get a good team. And do we think they'll continue to spend as much as they have spent within, obviously, whatever restrictions come from financial fair play? Well, that is the thing. FFP, or financial sustainability rules, as it now is, coming in from January for UEFA. I think there's going to be a, a move towards mod, uh, aping a version of the UEFA model in the Premier League as well. So they won't, they'll be restricted to percentile of revenue. So they won't be able to spend quite as much um, in the in the short term unless they grow the revenue they only do that by building the, sta- the, st- the stadium bigger and they won't that take three or four years so I think they'll still spend it's Chelsea uh, I think this was a one-off taking advantage of the situation spend to allow them to spend as much as they had you know, it's a record sum by, by an English club by any club I think virtually apart from uh, when you know PSG play pay ridiculous sums for, for Neymar and players like that um, so They'll still spend their Chelsea. It's what they do. They can't. You know, if if you don't if you don't run, you stand still. Don't if you stand if you stand still, you fall backwards in football. We know that. Unfortunately, it's got to be continual evolution. If if not revolution, and they'll have to spend, but they have to pay players that work for Potter. That means players who are willing to press, who are willing to put that effort in, who want to play that system. The one thing that helps him, I think, in the short term, is he's got at least one. We think. Uh, dressing room disciple in in Cucurella who played for him uh, last season. Um, can they cancel the uh, Billy Gilmore deal and get him back? Is there any uh, banking rules like, oh, sorry, that check bounced. We we're going to take that guy back. No. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunate. Well, maybe not. I don't know. I mean, it's interesting, Gilmore. I can't work. I can't work out whether Gilmore is a really good player who's gone backwards or was overhyped. And I don't know. I'm not being critical. I haven't seen enough of him, but. At Norwich last year, he didn't exactly pull up too many trees, did he? Uh, Tuchel obviously didn't fancy him, but Potter clearly did because he'd taken him in at Brighton, maybe just to give himself an extra option in terms of the, the way they play. But at the moment, that boat's gone. That's floated out to sea and can't come back, at least until there's a, a transfer window. Um, how do you think Spurs have done so far this season? They haven't played well, have they? And yet they haven't lost. Very strange. Uh, not like Spurs at all. I thought they played quite well against Fulham, they were measured, actually, against Marseille, weren't they, in midweek? They didn't play particularly well. We never thought they were going to lose the game. You thought they'd probably find a way, and lo and behold, they did. The first real test would have been on Saturday, and that's now delayed, you know, for months. So the next... The, the, it'd be a tough game tomorrow night in, in Lisbon. And Sporting smashed Frankfurt, didn't they, away 3-0 last week. So they're in, in decent nick. Then they've got... I suppose they've got Leicester at the weekend. Um... And then it's the international break and they come back and play Arsenal. So we still don't quite know what they are. What we do know is that they've organised, they run hard, they don't concede too many goals and they've always got a goal in them because they've got four, even though Son hasn't scored yet, but he will score, we know that. They've got four who can score. It gives them an advantage, doesn't it? Um, and also I think the surprise for me has been Emerson has been better this season than before. 
he still doesn't thrill you on the ball, but he has been involved in creating goals. And he doesn't make too many mistakes at the back. So they've had a bit more solidity about them this year. They're, they're not the stereotypical European team at the moment who are um, heavy metal football. They're, they're definitely a variation of the uh, Conte-Chelsea team with maybe a different collection of talented players. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how that style competes over the course of the season against Pep and against whatever else the, the challenge is going to be. But you wouldn't be terribly surprised if they were able to actually sustain this and, and get better, grow into the season, that they're doing it now from a base where it's incredibly solid, incredibly difficult to beat. And then as players come into form, as players develop understanding of what the requirements are and those partnerships build, like, I guess I'm right about saying here that Spurs are in a really great situation at the moment, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, there's a virtuous circle off the pitch there because of the, the money that's coming in, you know, £6 million per every home game. Uh, they're in a position where, you know, they are comfortably well-placed to deal with all the the financial vicissitudes that have, that have come across across football and the world, which is really good for them. They've got a very strong structure. They've got goals up top. I mean, it, it, if Kane gets injured, can you rely on Richarlison to score? Well, what you saw last week, probably yes. You know, he's, it, they wouldn't, it wouldn't be as devastating now if Kane lost a month than it, has been at any point in the last six years, which is a testament to the way that um, uh, Pavicicci and Conte have gone about the uh, this rebuilding. You know, uh, Bentancor uh, has been excellent. We haven't really seen Basuma yet, but we know that there's a player there. Uh, Kudaseski has been excellent since he came in January. Richarlison looks to have really made himself popular with the fans. You can see that. They're a decent nick, aren't they? They're, uh, whether they're good enough to challenge for the title, I'm less sure. I still think City are going to prove to be far and away the best team because Holland's going to score 50 goals at this rate, if not more. Um, but with Liverpool being slightly off, I mean, the two teams that you could argue outside City that have impressed so far have been Spurs and Arsenal. Yeah, like, absolutely. And I, Arsenal had the, the blip against Manchester United. It'd be very interesting to see how they respond to that. And that was kind of, again, maybe Arteta won't mind having those extra few days before and maybe an extra week before the next Premier League game. The last thing, there, you, you talk about um, Liverpool being slightly off it. Can they get it back? Or is this going to be a down season for them where they have to try and recalibrate? Because um, Klopp was kind of talking about reinvention. And, it's not, you know, he seems to he seems to have had just a little some kind of blip in terms of confidence about the style of play because they're not the same team. They're not performing in the same way. They're not doing the same habits um, that made them great. And when that starts to happen, it's difficult to get back mid-season. Yeah, I, I, the answer is, can they? Well, yes, they can. Will they? I don't know. Um, a lot of players are not playing well. Uh, the midfield, even with the late, late arrival of, of Artur, look lightweight. It looks leggy. It looks struggling. Uh, they're missing Mane more than I think they, even they imagined they would. Uh, we haven't really seen enough of uh, Darwin Nunez yet to see what it, what sort of player he'll be. Uh, Salah, I don't, don't think Salah's played particularly well since the since Egypt failed to qualify for the World Cup, if maybe even since the African Nations final defeat, which was a month or so earlier than that. He's not been he's not been bad. He's just not been as great as he was before that. Uh, and at the back, um, Alexander-Arnold is having a, an awful run. And if they had another right-back, I think they would be thinking of putting him in. The Liverpool fans, I know, are critical of Robertson. 
uh, Van Dyke is looking mortal, uh, more than mortal, actually fail at times. Uh, and he really struggled once again uh, in Napoli. Uh, and they've been bailed out by the keeper quite a bit, um, more than they want to be. Something is, is certainly more than a right. There's a real issue there and it needs to be addressed. And whether that will be something that can be done easily, I'm not too sure. Once players lose legs, lose confidence, lose belief, lose faith, reinstalling that isn't a matter of days. It's a matter of weeks and months sometimes. Yeah, very interesting to see exactly what happens there. Martin, good stuff. Thanks for joining us this morning. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.